Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Here during April, we're going to be trying to go with more of a set schedule for you all. Regular Tuesday and Thursday podcast with myself and the always fantastic Dwayne McFarlane, who is joining me once again. Also doing Wednesday streams slash podcasts that are going to be completely best ball oriented. You're going to use the FFPC platform. Shout out to all the fine gents and ladies over there making that happen. And then I will be sprinkling in some Friday guest edition episodes we're going to have the one the only the twitter famous jetpack galileo on this friday to talk through his wide receiver model and start to get back into some of these college prospects so first and foremost though let's focus on the present today going to be looking at a bunch of draft capital goodness and some players that mr mcfarland thinks are a little bit too high or a little bit too low right now in the best ball streets before we get to that though did want to just apologize for some of the audio issues we had i believe on the wide receiver rankings uh, edition you know this is episode 441 or 442 of the podcast we have had a couple glitches from time to time but like we did then very quickly to get those figured out i know it's uh cannot be nice to hear my heavy ass breathing or Dwayne, you know talking too silently in your in your earphones we appreciate you guys always taking all the hours out of the time out of your day and we want to make that audio experience as good as possible so please any sort of future occurrences any minute detail whatever it is good bad whatever feel free to dm me on twitter because you know without you guys a lot of these problems uh will not be surface quickly enough and again want to have the best product overall so with all that said Dwayne how's it going man we I feel like we kind of had a nice uh, marathon at the end of last week we got to refresh over the weekend here we are on Tuesday ready to get back to business as usual yeah man last week we had every day right no well we didn't do one Monday but we did we did a pod every day but no man I'm super excited like now we get to kind of take a lot of the stuff that we talked about last week with the tears the rankings and start like let's start applying things I'm, I'm a person that learns when i apply things and like i do good like reading fine i'll learn a little bit you know i can listen to someone learn a little bit but like where i think we really and we talked about this a little bit last week but like once we start like applying it like in theory and how we're going to make it work and then we start drafting which we're going to do this wednesday night like that's really where i think all of our you know takes start meeting you know resistance or we really feel like they fit. Like, is it something where we think we got to go back and rethink things or do we really feel good about where we've got someone ranked? So I'm super excited. And I think this week really kicks off that kind of work. If you thought the Noah fan tight end debate was heated, I can only imagine what things are going to be like when we got actual money on the line. The clock to speed up that decision making. Uh, as I said in the intro, today's topics are going to be draft capital and kind of what we can learn from that uh, in regards to mostly rookie year production, but even beyond that, as well as some top best ball targets in fades at the moment. So, Dwayne, let's start things off with draft capital. I have an article up on PFF.com about this topic if you guys want to look. We've talked a little bit, uh, you know, throughout the offseason about the importance of, uh, you know, players going into early rounds. But now that everyone has had, you know, February, March, now we're getting into April, more mock drafts, more prospects, more time where no actual football is being played. So, of course, what do we do? We just obsess over, you know, some of these prospects that are going to be entering the league soon enough. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news to everyone, but there's a good chance if your favorite prospect is not drafted in the first three, maybe even the first two rounds, they're not going to do much ahead of next season specifically. Dwayne, the chart I have on the screen share right now is showing the total number of rookie top 12 quarterbacks, tight ends, and top 24 running backs and wide receivers over the past 10 years. And my God, man, only one quarterback drafted outside the top three rounds. 
That was Dak Prescott. Obviously need the Tony Romo injury to get out there. Russell Wilson was the only non-first-round quarterback. Credit to him for beating out, you know, Tavares Jackson and Matt Flynn and just that incredibly tough uh, quarterback competition. Running backs, we've only seen five total players who we'll get to in a minute achieve that year one excellence without being drafted in the top three rounds now intriguingly we've seen the same number of first and second round running backs meet this criteria so i'm not sure there's a huge difference in terms of hey you know this guy got picked you know number 28 versus number 45 we've seen the same number of qualifiers from there but once we get out of those top three rounds again just becomes awfully dip difficult not that there aren't useful players out there elijah mitchell with some good health would have hit that you know michael carter was fine even though he didn't exactly finish as a top 24 player but for shooting for the moon should probably be shooting on top three round picks even more so at wide receiver where we've only seen uh let's see a monroe st brown last year i think we could all kind of see that deplete depth chart potentially yielding a high performing rookie and tyreek hill was a fifth round pick due to his off the field issues no way he would have been a non-day two player uh selected in the draft without those and keenan allen's the only third round wide receiver man so wide receivers actually been limited to one and two uh rounds as opposed to even the round number three and then tight end as a whole we can almost completely write them off over the last 10 years only Evan Ingram and Kyle Pitts have been top 12 fantasy tight ends as a rookie. Even those guys, man. Evan Ingram benefited from OBJ playing four games that season. And last year, obviously, Calvin Ridley only finished with five games. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end alike. Dwayne, if there is a situation where, you know, we have a talented player, almost like the Michael Carter kind of thing last year, where we think he's a talented player, he's a high fourth round pick, he lands in the right spot. For the right price, I'm not against it. Again, we don't hit anyone. We just hit ADPs. With that said, we got to do some quick rookie reshuffling in the old ranks after we find out where they get drafted because draft capital, man, even though it's not the sexiest thing and we want to hang our hats on all the research we've done in February through April, with that said, man, best predictor out there. Yeah, for sure. And like, so folks want to check out my rookie models, which I've got one up for receivers. I've got one up for running backs, like the number one um, factor in both of them is draft capital. And so I'm using grinding the mocks to basically, you know, project where I think they're going to go because of all the stuff that you just shared. It absolutely is important. And it makes sense, right? I mean, if you think about it, you know, you're a team, the more you invest in a player, the more likely you are to stand behind them, even if they fail, right? And continue to give them additional chances. And I think you said these here, these are just looking at their first year, right? In the league. So this is what's, yeah, this is just rookies period. But I did okay, yeah. look at, I did look at in the next chart I'm going to show. This is last 10 years, just all the performers, you know, every single year, regardless, our top 12s and our top 24s, Rookies included, but no experience matters. And we still see the same real story, man. 73% of tight ends, day one or day two. 68% of running backs, 78% of wide receivers, 81% of quarterbacks. So for rookies, it's over 80% at every position. But man, like for 68% to be the lowest, even looking at throughout the entire career, it's a, it's a trend that tends to stick even past you one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it matches up with, you know, research that I've done in the past. Um, you know, just recently I was looking at receivers again, top six, top 12, top 24, and even top 36 hit rates. You know, I like looking at the six and 12 because those are the ones we're really trying to hit. Like, yeah. you know, who are these players that can come in and just blow up? And so if you look at it, you know, over the same, same 
same period you're talking about, but actually I was only going 2011 to 2019 because I had some uh, different PFF stuff that I was looking at. But 17% um, of those players that were able to achieve a top six finish, um, or sorry, first round pick, 17% of them finished in the top six, 24% in the top 12, 48% eventually in the first in their first three seasons. Sorry, so my I'm looking at the first three seasons here, a little bit different than yours. 48% made it in the top 24, and then 62% of the first round receivers made it into the top 36 in their first three seasons. And then to your point, just like you talked about, it starts to drop off, you know, in the second round. But once you get to the fourth round, it's like it's it's nothing. <laughs> you know, um, number of guys making it to the top six uh, in the fourth round, 0%. Fifth round, 4%. Sixth round, 0%. Seventh round, 0%. Undrafted free agents, 0%. So you start to see like a few guys trickle into that top 36, top 24 mark. So like the fifth round, for example, had 11% in the top 24. 15% of the players went on to have a top 36 finish. But again, really those guys that make the big difference for you, um, say, and if we, if we limited that to top 24 finishes, which is really where it's at, um, yeah, very rare for players taken outside of the top three rounds to be able to do much. That's what was annoying me last year in the offseason when everyone was trying to ask, like, who is this year's James Robinson? And it was like, who should be this next decade's James Robinson? Because we literally had never seen an undrafted running back put together the sort of numbers that he did. I know Philip Lindsay had a great year as well. He did finish outside of the top 12, though. So generally, I think we do overstate the rookie impact just 3.1 rookie running backs per season that finishes the top 24 ppr score over the past decade wide receivers down to 1.6 just 0.6 quarterbacks and only 0.2 tight ends so let's quickly go through position by position because as always numbers you know tell part of the story but Dwayne, as you have become famous for pointing out context does matter each and every part of our lives so the quarterbacks that have managed to buck this trend and work as top 12 fantasy football scorers as a rookie Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, and Kylo Murray. Yes, Cam Newton did as well. Also, yes, that happened 11 years ago. We are getting old, everyone, and uh, you hate to see it, but at least we still have fantasy football in our lives. So the big kind of uh, qualifiers that we saw with this group of six quarterbacks, all of them started in week one except for Justin Herbert after the Chargers, you know, pierced uh, Tyrod Taylor's long Pulp Fiction style. He unfortunately had to come out of the, of the starting lineup by week two. And really, the having a semblance of a rushing floor. I mean, all these guys, Andrew Luck, 25 rushing yards per game. RG3 was at 55. Russell Wilson, 28. Dak was at 51. Kyler was at 51. They were all racking up rushing yards in college. Herbert was the only exception. He had just 13 rushing yards per game, but we saw a nice combine performance. Clearly, the first two years of his career in the NFL have shown a little bit more capable of what he was putting on film at Oregon. So, Dwayne, with all that in mind, we want a week one starter, and we also want someone that has shown a little bit of a fantasy-friendly rushing floor. You know, we can talk about where exactly a player can go to get that week one starting opportunity. I listed the Texans, the Lions, the Falcons, and the Panthers as teams that, yes, they really do need to upgrade their quarterback spot, and maybe a quarterback battle could come to fruition. Even with those squads, though, you know, Davis Mills, Jared Goff, Marcus Mariota, Sam Darnold, yeah, we can improve upon them. I'm not saying that, but it could be a tough situation for one of these rookies to come in and immediately win the job. So with that in mind, we can cross off, I think, a couple of these quarterbacks already, notably Kenny Pickett, Carson Strong, and Bailey Zapp, just in terms of year one fantasy goodness, because my God, Bailey Zapp, 1.2 rushing yards per game. Carson Strong was at negative nine and a half rushing yards per game. I understand sacks count against rushing yards in college, but my God, that dude cannot move. And Kenny Pickett was only at at 15.4 
It gets interesting with the rest of the guys, though. Sam Howell, 27 rushing yards uh, per game in an asinine 63 uh, broken tackles, I believe, last year. You can see why some of the allure is going his way uh, from PFF's own Austin Gale. Also, Malik Willis, absolutely electric, 61 rushing yards per game. Desmond Ritter, 44 rushing yards per game in that hot 4-5-2-40. Even Matt Corral at 36 rushing yards per game. So, Dwayne, based on the work you've done with the quarterbacks, do you think this is fair? Like Howell, Willis, Ritter, and Corral? they might have the chance to get that draft capital get that early chance to get a starting job and they actually have the wheels to do something once they get it i feel like those are the big four because like carson strong i know he's not going super high in mocks or anything let's say he does fall into the best best case situation he's a week one starter i think we'd be looking at someone like mac jones or even if he does kind of impress from a real life perspective we're not getting anything worth a damn in fantasy yeah, I'm just not high on this class overall, but I think you nailed the ones that we would want to look at if they somehow ended up, you know, in a in a starting gig. And, you know, the one other team that you didn't mention above that's really looking at quarterbacks would be the Steelers. Um, they're definitely, yes. you know, they've got one, two, three, four, five. They've already got five quarterbacks that they've had two visits with or that they're scheduled for two visits, which is the most in the league. So they're the one other option. Um, I think the biggest thing that I take away from these, Ian, is, okay, one of these quarterbacks could go to Atlanta or they could go to Pittsburgh. And do I really want to take Mitch Trubisky or Marcus Mariota until I know for sure they're going to avoid a first round quarterback? Or do I just wait until late in the season, you know, or wait until right before, you know, uh, the season starts to know who the starter is going to be, you know, so if they do, because there's no guarantee any of these rookies are going to start um, because most of them wouldn't even be first round picks. Let's face it this, you know, if it was, if it was last year, um, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but someone yesterday, I've seen it a couple of times. was like, Hey, if Justin Fields was in this class, he'd be the number one quarterback overall, hands down. Like he, yeah. he's way better than anything that we have in this class. So overall I'm just down on the class, but I think the two I like the most because of the rushing floor ability to navigate the pockets and things that Kevin Coles looked at are Malik or sorry, Matt Corral is my number one. And then just from a pure rushing upside would be Malik Willis. The assumption that Matt Corral just can't work inside an NFL offense because he wasn't asked to is interesting for me. Like it just seems like we're maybe holding. Well, I think it's more. also the size thing. People look at the six one, two ten or whatever he is. I've seen some different sizes, but I think that's the other thing that put people look at. That's fair. And it, it's all, it is all part of it, but it just seems like Corral, you know, as someone, he, he did everything he was asked to do at a really high level. And that just doesn't really seem to buy him much credit. I did think of uh, PFF's own Sam Monson uh, put it really well in his kind of breakdown, his uh, quarterback rankings where he did have Malik Willis QB one. And his argument was basically what you said at first win, like none of these guys would have been even in the top five last year. So what are you going to do with the group of all flawed quarterbacks? You throw a dart at the one with the most upside based on Malik Willis's, you know, we, and overall passing ability I mean it's him and you know I think the other point Sam brought up was like Jalen Hurts for all of his faults last year was still leading a top 10 top 12 offense in EPA per play might not look as pretty when so much of that you know is the quarterback running around but that is what Malik Willis could potentially give your offense early on that rushing floor man like we always talk about how these rushing quarterbacks compare to the pocket passers I never hear someone talking about you know Jimmy Garoppolo just being an absolute zero when it comes to uh, actually rushing the football at running back, 
five exceptions to the rule that we want to draft guys inside of the top three rounds. 2012, Alfred Morris right there alongside uh, Robert Griffin. 2013, Zach Stacy found himself Jeff Fisher willing to feed him the rock. 2016, Jordan Howard absolutely barren bears depth chart that he managed to get up uh, and hold on to that lead. 2018, Philip Lindsay, again, another barren Broncos depth chart. A lot of us thought it might be Royce Freeman that year. Ended up being Lindsay. I took over hand 2020 James Robinson was projected to maybe not even make the team. Not only did he do that, but they ended up getting rid of Leonard Fournette, paving the way for Robinson to be a generational talent, you know, whatever you want to call it. Either way, got all the volume in the world and decided to still be a fantasy RB1 despite playing on that dog shit Jaguars offense. So, Dwayne, I mean, looking at those guys, again, it's pretty clear that you're going to need to end up in a good, really, really good situation and a clear depth chart to have any hope if you're drafted outside the top three rounds. The other interesting takeaway I found from the guys that were uh, actually fitting the criteria and in the top three rounds, pass catchers, pass catchers, pass catchers, man. We had some Jeremy Hills, your Nick Chubbs in there that were putting up big numbers despite not having the pass game role. But out of these 31 top performing rookies, 51 target average in year one, all but five players in the sample had at least 30 targets in their first professional season. So looking at our 2022 PFF NFL draft big board, not, you know, I probably should have collected a bunch of mock drafts to get a better representation, but this is a decent start. We have five running backs listed as top 102 prospects, which should cover the top three rounds of the draft. Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, Damian Pierce, Tyler Aligier, sorry, I'll work on it, and James Cook. So with those guys in mind, man, clearly the most concerns go to Kenneth Walker. I mean, this is, I guess, where I have the biggest hesitancy, putting him ahead of Brees Hall. Like, yeah, the tape's great. I see it, the tackle-breaking ability. I mean, you can just watch any game that Kenneth Walker played. And one play, he's running past everyone. The next play, he's breaking three tackles. Like, he can do it all with the ball in his hands. Just 19 career receptions, though. And then I read what PFF draft expert Mike Renner has to say about him. And this was Mike's quote. Walker has to buy in as a pass blocker to see a bell cow role in the NFL. Coaches at the next level won't let him see the field on passing downs with what he put on tape as a pass blocker in 2021. Seems like a red flag to me. Brees Hall seems to check every box regardless of even looking at, you know, what Walker's doing. I don't know why we would hang our hat on Walker over Brees Hall right now. I know you're not. No, no, no. But I think Walker, and we'll talk about it in a minute. I mean, I think the biggest allure of him is he's probably going to be the second back off the board, probably going to be in the second round, which, you know, in today's NFL is like a first rounder, you know, from, from yeah. 2010, given how we don't really see as many backs go in there in, in the first round. Um, so it's just really all about draft capital. But yeah, I mean, typically we see the backs that are really good receivers in college are also pretty good in the NFL, but we do find outliers. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's still a chance that Kenneth Walker can be fine out of the backfield. Um, and, and one of the things that we see backs correct a lot is really their ability to pass block once they get to the pro level. So it could be a challenge though, to your point as a rookie, which can keep you off the field. But again, it does matter what offense you land in because we've seen a lot of um, there's a lot of NFL offenses now that only ask their running backs to block 20% of the time. So they don't even care. They're just like getting the route. So, I mean, there's just a lot of different factors that go into um, the way an offense works. I think the other component, you know, Ian, is do you land on an offense that has four or five other really good receivers or tight ends? There's, you don't really need to throw the ball to running backs in that situation. But if you land somewhere that has one decent running back, one good tight end, um, there's a good chance that even swing passes become valuable in the offense, which I think Kenneth Walker can catch swing passes. I just don't think he's a downfield threat. Look no further to how like kind of meaningless 
discerning the difference in RB skill talent can be than Najee Harris and Javante Williams last year. I mean, Javante was better than Najee in every single efficiency metric as a rusher and receiver. Javante finishes as the RB 26 in PPR points per game. Najee finishes RB eight because of that sweet, sweet volume. Dwayne, I was looking at a, sorry, m- knocking my mic over, getting excited I just, over here. I, I love the James Cook uh, film you got up there. He, he's headed to, to the Giants probably to take over the passing role from Barkley. It's going to be hot. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Saquon <laughs> slander aside. Uh, but so I just did a quick experiment. I took Jonathan Taylor last year, 5.5 yards per carry. The guy is, I, you know, Dwayne, you listed him as a top three running back uh, in the world, basically, if all the workloads were the same. I agree with you. If he had averaged 2.5 yards per carry last year and gotten the same workload, he would have dropped from RB1 to RB5. Because yards, let's face it, man, you're not getting the same sort of points you do for touchdowns, even catching a pass. So, yeah, you know, I took a little bit of a luxury there, not removing, not knocking the touchdowns for a guy averaging two and a half yards per carry. But it's pretty wild to me that if we keep the volume and we keep the upside the same, we can take Jonathan Taylor from being the world's best running back to the world's worst running back. And he's still a top five fantasy running back. So. Hey, shout out to our friends at All22 for trying to invent a game that helps, uh, you know, get rid of some of those discrepancies. But that takes us to, Dwayne, the one point, receptions. We want to chase guys that have target ability. Why is James Cook not getting more love, man? I'm seeing him consistently well outside the top three or four running backs on most people's rookie boards. And you look at what he was able to do. And as someone that I'm not going to pretend that, like, I've grinded every single college tape from the last few years but my god man the michigan game him lining up out wide just running straight past the safety you know getting out loose for another score or just a, a score later in that game you look at him at alabama sprinting past the linebacker this guy seems like a matchup nightmare on the outside and the exact sort of guy that we could see buy for 50 to 70 targets potentially in year one are you with me on buying in the james cook twang because out of all these running backs in terms of their ability in the passing game he seems to have the least question marks yeah, I like Cook a lot. Um, you know, I mean, he's got the NFL pedigree, you know, with his brother Dalvin in the league. He's not as quite he's not quite as big of a back, maybe not quite as explosive. But to your point, you know, it's it's also hard to knock him, though, because when you play at Georgia, you're going to play in a split backfield. It doesn't matter if your name is Todd Gurley. It doesn't matter if your name is Nick Chubb, if your name is DeAndre Swift, like, you know, Zamir White, like you're going to have some sort of a platoon situation. So I try not to overly knock players that come from programs like this that do share some time. I think overall, all the things that I saw on film like were positive and it, came, it all came back to really pass receiving ability. And the good news is he is still mocking inside right at the top 100, which is where we really want to be. Last year, I think Michael Carter was 104 or 108. And then we kind of reached that land of like no return that you were just talking about earlier. So I do think he's going to end up being taken in the third round of the NFL draft based on everything that I've read. Maybe he sneaks into the second round. Like I would like that. So I think knowing that he can catch ball, that he's a good receiver out of the backfield and that he's probably insulated. He's going to be in the top three rounds of the draft. Like he's a guy I feel very comfortable taking. At wide receiver, again, just 1.6 rookie wide receivers have finished as top uh, per season, top 24 PPR scores since 2012. So, yeah, we've seen Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. Maybe they are a signal that these rookie wide receivers are just going to keep getting better and better. Still need to see it a little bit to believe it. Either way, this is where we can actually restrict more of our player pool to just two rounds as opposed to three over the past 10 years. Again, Tyreek, Amonra, St. Brown, and Keenan Allen, the only top 24 rookie wide receivers not selected inside of the first 64 picks of the draft. Other wide receivers that were round one or round two guys that did post big-time numbers as a rookie, 
OBJ, Mike Evans, Kelvin Benjamin, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, C.D. Lamb, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, and A.J. Brown. So really, man, with the only exception being Kelvin Benjamin, like what a hit what a hit rate going on here. I think it kind of backs up a lot of your findings that uh, you've shared on the pod this offseason, Dwayne. If you see a rookie wide receiver ball out in year one, there's a good chance they're not turning back into a pumpkin. There's a better chance that they are just a very good receiver. And you've backed that up, you know, with the PFF receiving grade threshold. And we can kind of see the same thing in terms of raw fantasy points. So I guess my big thing here, Dwayne, is we're paying attention to the depth charts. You know, we've talked about some of the concerns, like if someone lands on the Jets or one of these teams that are already going to be crowded as it is um, in the wide receiver room. But my God, man, we got a lot of good wide receivers in this class. I'm not saying they're all going to be vying for top 24 treatment or anything. Again, just 1.6 uh, wide receivers per year. So if we're expecting more than two top 24 wide receivers, we're kind of predicting an exception there between Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, Sky Moore, uh, Jahan Dotson, George Pickens, and Jalen Tolbert, all guys that PF that the that the PFF NFL draft big board has going inside the top 64 prospects. Out of all these positions, man, I think wide receiver could be the most wide open in terms of someone that maybe we don't expect. Maybe a Sky Moore or a George Pickens, someone that we know is good, but maybe we're just, you know underestimating how great their fit could be could actually rise to the top and you know have this kind of sexy fancy ranking order because right now man we can talk about who are wide receiver one wide receiver two is overwhelming majority of analysts i think have london wilson williams alave and burks in their top five in some order maybe one of these other guys that still get the round two draft capital can surprise us yeah, I think receiver is going to be very interesting. Like, you know, there's there's rumors of Traylon Burke sliding out of the first round, which I find very hard to believe if you've got four picks between Kansas City and Green Bay at the end of the first round. Yeah, come and on. we know that they need a receiver after what they, you know, what they've gone through as far as losing Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. Um, but yeah, I think this is it's it's not as top heavy of, of a class as what we've seen, um, especially last year. It's hard to compare anything to last year. Yeah. But as far as looking at the depth of the class and I do think landing spots are going to matter. We know targets are earned, so the player is still going to have to be good regardless. But I, I do think there's going to be some tiebreaker scenarios where we could potentially have a guy that goes, you know, 10 picks ahead of, you know, someone that maybe we didn't like quite as much, but lands in just a lot better situation. We still think they're good enough to garner or earn their own targets. I think that that's going to matter. A name that you mentioned that is really rising up boards that could be one that lands in that kind of scenario is George Pickens. So I think it's interesting that you brought him up, you know, because there's been a lot of talk of him potentially going even at the end of the first round or early second round at this point. So I'm very interested to see where he's going to land. But I think the biggest takeaway is, and we'll talk about it in a minute, whenever we talk about players to target based on ADP right now because a lot of these rookie receivers are definitely included it was just the fact that there is a lot of depth in this receiver class not quite as top heavy but there's a big group of receivers that could easily land in spots that we could get really excited about and that's been kind of my overarching my overarching thought process behind like people ranking rookies before the draft happens it's fine we should be as knowledgeable about these guys as possible but like Dwayne if we have Sky Moore outside our top five receivers, but he lands on the Packers or Chiefs, like even if you don't think he's as good of a prospect, I don't know how you can like not rationalize zooming him up the board. And like it was kind of a similar thing as last year. Like I, I respect people. I'm not saying you were crazy if you thought Rondale Moore or even Terrence Marshall was a better prospect than Jalen Waddle. I disagree with you, but smart people came away with that assessment. 
But once you see one guy go sixth overall and the other guy go, you know, a round later, or you see someone just end up in the best possible scenario, we can't get, you know, to like take lock and stuff before the draft happens. Because as much as, you know, it's okay to trust talent, a little bit more than landing spot at wide receiver compared to running back. We got to realize that there's a lot of really good wide receivers in this class. Maybe accepting that we don't know as much as we think we do can be an edge. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the only caveat to it is all it takes is one team to like a player, you know, and we've seen Mike, we, we've seen Mike Mayock and John Gruden over the last several years, <laughs> like players that no one else liked. And so they take them way ahead. But I mean, I, as long as the players are somewhere, um, you know, it's not something completely outlandish, you know, um, then I think it's fine, you know, but if, if it's a player that, you know, where they were close in your model already, and now the draft capital capital swings to another player and, you know, they get a position where they're playing with a Mahomes or a Rogers, then yeah, I think that you should make those tiebreakers. I think what you want to avoid doing is someone that just really graded out really bad, you know, in a model. And, you know, it's a model that you trust. It's not, you know, this is the thing everybody talks about their model. Like that's why I don't ever even say model on here. It's a spreadsheet. Why do we have to keep using here model? I am. It's an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet. Like chill out. God. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a model. I mean, you're basing it on, you know, past, you know, hit rates, all that kind of stuff, whatever, whatever we want to call it. It doesn't matter. I'm with you. I get kind of tired of hearing everybody saying my model. I'm like, what your supermodel? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but as far as, you know, looking at, you know, past hit rates and things like that, as long as it's someone that's not way outside the parameters, you know, like if all of a sudden, I don't know, we'd have to come up with somebody, a, a name. I don't even know the name. Like I would think of in this class that would like just totally blow me away. If all of a sudden they went at the end of the first round, if it's somebody that we just were like totally out of left field, then you like, can question. Be like then Anthony you Schwartz, question. like Anthony Schwartz. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, last year we had several, we had Tutu Atwell, you had Anthony That's Schwartz. True. Those are the kind of things that you should That's definitely, <laughs> you know, be questioning. Yeah. It was just all of a sudden, Oh, we're just going to draft the fast, small guys. And this is the year to do it. Um, but if it's to your point, like if it's a George Pickens or it's a Sky Moore, someone that's already been moving up boards, we already pretty much like them. And now they're going to get a first round grade by an NFL team with a good quarterback. Then I think, you know, you have to swing it, you know, in their favor and you start making these tiebreakers. Um, obviously, just because that happens doesn't mean that you might move them ahead of, say, Drake London, who you just thought was amazing or ahead of, you know, in my case, you know, really looking at Garrett Wilson being my favorite prospect in the class. Like, I'm not going to move Sky Moore over him just because he lands in Green Bay and Garrett Wilson lands in the Jets, you know, because in that moment, like, it's like, okay, I'm the, you know, I'm still going to like the player that I had graded well above, but I'm not going to, but Sky Moore is definitely going to move up my board, like in that scenario. So like, they're both players I'm going to be drafting would really be my point. I'm not just going to all of a sudden be like, well, no, I'm not drafting Sky Moore. I just think Green Bay was wrong. Quickly, let's go through tight end. But once again, largely a losing proposition. Only Evan Ingram and Kyle Pitts, top 12 PPR scores as rookies since 2012. You can go back to 2010. That list will only include Rob Gronkowski in addition. So big two things. I think it's probably the toughest position to transition from because you need to be ready as both a blocker and a receiver in most cases. I don't, I don't think it's a surprise that the two exceptions are borderline receivers and how Ingram and Pitts were using their respective offenses. And, like, you can be great. You can be Dallas Goddard, Irv Smith, rookie tight ends that we saw get out there and be NFL ready, but land on the wrong depth chart and unfortunately just be in that multi-committee offense. So, Dwayne, only, P only tight end that PFF has ranked inside the top 96 overall prospects – 
is Trey McBride at number 64. I get it. He is the sort of receiver talent that we could maybe get behind. 91 catches for 1,125 yards in just 12 games last year. Nationwide high PFF receiving grade at 94.8 among all tight ends. But quickly, man, like what depth chart? What depth chart does Trey McBride need to go to for us to treat him as anything more than like a prospective late round tight end to dart throw? Because I'm just not so sure they're out there. I'm looking at the AFC East. I'm not seeing a single team that you could go to. Same thing with the AFC North. I mean, the AFC South, we always throw the Texans out there. Probably not for tight end. I still believe in Brevin Jordan. I've been trying to actually acquire him on some of those dynasty squads. Yeah, so the, I think the Packers would be interesting. Even then, they um, just brought back Tunyon. Yeah, but that doesn't bother me that much, right? It's not like they gave him a ton of money. Like that—that that would be interesting to me. Um, it would be—it would be enough to make him like a late round pick, right? But it's right. not someone that we're going to end up prioritizing. The Titans, you know, they've already got two visits with the guy, so they obviously like him. You know, if he could be the second or third receiver, but you really would need them to open up the offense right now, right? They're a real—they're run heavy, run centric offense. I think um, Hooper is at least would at least be a part of a committee enough to render both of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Hooper. Um, it's just I feel like we've seen enough of Hooper to know that it's you know if the if the guy came in and played really well, maybe there's a chance he overtakes him. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, overall, like if I just had to say today, like if they drafted Trey McBride in the second round, do I think he's going to be in a committee with Austin Hooper? Most likely. Yeah, it's probably going to happen. Um, maybe the Giants. Know. Shout out RSJ, but come on. Yeah, yeah. No, the Giants would be a good one. Um, obviously, I think the Panthers would would be a good one if they spent a second round pick. I know they signed Ian Thomas, but he's really more of a blocking back. Obviously, uh, if Gronk, you know, they don't they don't love our guy. They don't love our guy uh, Tommy Trembles. Um, Trying to think who else. Maybe uh, the Buccaneers looking. if Gronk retires, which I still don't think he will. I don't think he will either. But yes, that obviously if that happened and Gronk retired, like. He would be overdrafted at that point. <laughs> like Trey McBride would move too far up boards. Um, yeah, I think that's those are the main ones, man. Otherwise, you're really looking for like a long term fit. Like right. it would be great if he landed in Kansas City. So maybe eventually he's the heir apparent. Obviously, you don't compare anyone to Travis Kelsey, but he could step into a role in a couple of years down the road. To your point, it does take these guys typically a little bit longer to come through. So seriously, even like Green Bay, the Giants, and these other squads you're mentioning, there's Tennessee. Yeah, those are probably the best spots. Even then, I still think it'd be tough to, you know, assume he's going to be more than, you know, the 1B as part of a committee and someone that, like Irv Smith, like Dallas Goddard, to two examples, not likely to give us fancy value regardless. So you can I think catch- the key for tight ends, just real quick, like is – and it's really all the – it's all positions, but we kind of hit on it on Friday. And, you know, whenever, you know, you no, maybe you called me four eyes on Wednesday. I don't know. Even. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to let go. It was a whirlwind. Like, yeah. It was a whirlwind. Um, but when you think about the tight ends, I think eventually you get to a spot where you're past the guys that you really think are starters that have a chance to contribute. And then it's like, okay, are we trying to project lesser guys to all of a sudden have a role or they're in committees or you just start taking pro the profile of the players that you think could, could be the most explosive. And then that's where I think Trey McBride eventually could like fit in. Like you could end up putting him in that same tier, um, you know, which my wife, my tight end tiers came out today. So you folks can go check that out over at PFF. But, you know, you've got the guys like David and Joku that work the scenes and do different things like that. Where if all of a sudden, like the other tight end on the team got hurt 
and then now you've got a player that's, that's got you know upside as far as as far as talent goes and that's where i really see trey mcbride fitting i don't want to like totally pencil him in as being oh my gosh he's got to be like a you know tight end 25 i think you can think about it one of two ways like you can think about it you know, okay, I'm just looking at the projection or I'm also at a point in the draft where it's just like, you know, I'm just going to take the guys that I think are talented. If something works out and they end up in a bigger role, then I think they've got upside. I think that's where Trey McBride, to your point, is going to fit. It's going to be hard to put him in any offense and really project a huge role. You can catch that article, the rankings, Dwayne's tier articles, all that and so much more, pff.com. And how about that? You can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANTASY. Again, all of our locked article content, NFL draft guide, completely unlocked mock draft simulator, 2022 free agency rankings, all that and so much more. Again, support the pod. Use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub. And shout out to our main sponsor of the day manscaped the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is manscaped the leaders in below the waist grooming with manscaped performance package 4.0 your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4340 support us and head to manscaped.com use the exclusive code pff at checkout for 20 percent off and free shipping again that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code pff turn your mr irrelevant to a first round pick with manscaped Dwayne, before we get to some of your best ball stuff you you uh you, you delayed our start time of the podcast by 30 minutes. It's fine. I'm not a busy man. Not a big deal. But during that 30 minutes, I was starting to think about, you know, football things. That's kind of all I do in life for the most part. And how different would our opinion on Zeke be if he just hadn't played the second half of last year? If he tore his PCL, he's out. Tony Pollard goes in, balls out. But Zeke's coming back as the no-doubt RB1 for the Cowboys. Because before that PCL injury, which, hey, Sounds pretty painful. Doesn't sound all that great. RB7 overall, even an RB8 on a per-game basis in weeks 1 through 10 last year. Are we sleeping on Zeke, Dwayne? We don't need to treat him as a first two-round back anymore. But if the guy's going to be out there as the lead back for the Cowboys, the where we have him ranked as like an RB24, man, it just seems like if he's going to be ranked that low, and I see the red flags, I see Pollard potentially having a bigger role, but if he's going to be ranked that low, man, we should at least be targeting him in round 4 and 5. Yeah, I I just don't feel like I'm going to have to. I, I don't see the bull case for Zeke where I really feel like if I don't take him, like it's really going to it's going to cost me a league championship. Like so that's really where I end up on a player like Zeke. So even if we discounted the last half of last year after the PCL injury, which I agree he did look better before that and I would expect him to come back and look stronger. You know, he still is not a player that breaks a lot of long runs. He's still not a lot of player that makes a lot of things happen on his own as far as missed tackles. And we could have potentially the worst Dallas Cowboys line we've seen really maybe since Zeke's been here, depending on what they do in the draft. Like there's a good chance they could take a guard or a tackle at the end of the first round. Um, but I think, again, even discounting that second half of the season, Zeke's still going to be up there well over the 1500 touch mark, which we really want you know to be involved. But so is Derrick Henry. I, we don't care about that. Well, yeah, we do. We do care about Derrick Henry. We basically said, well, I get it, but he's also his ceiling is way higher than Zeke's. His explosive play rate is is through the roof higher than Zeke's. His missed tackles force per attempt. He's just a better player than Zeke. I mean, we just, I can't help it. Um, and he's in a very run heavy offense without a second back, you know, getting carries. Yes, he does have a back come on the field and get, you know, touches in the passing game. But I think Henry, you know, has shown us multiple times like the bull case for Henry is RB1 overall. I just don't see that for Zeke. Um, so, I mean, I think, look, if it's in the round four, round five, and someone wants to take a stab at him, I think it's okay. But, I mean, I think with the days of Zeke really having an every down, you know, role, like we think he's going to be the lead back, but I think Pollard is still going to be there to siphon away carries. So it's not that the ADP is terrible. 
I just don't see a reason like I have to force it. Fair enough. I'm happy I got that off my chest. But yes, this is another example. Let's make sure that we're hating the ADP and not the player because I do think some of the Zeke contract stuff and just really how he was playing hurt down the stretch is possibly fading the mind of the public a little bit too much. But Dwayne, you have some great stuff for us here. You are now the screen sharer connoisseur on this stream. Shout out to all the YouTube faithful out there. What have you been cooking up in the laboratory for folks that are out there playing some best ball, trying to get an edge before the draft gets going? Yeah, so just a real quick recap before we jump into the players. So this goes back to something you and I, and, and actually it was the episode that Nathan Yonke was on with us, if folks want to go back and find it. But we talked just really about the history of ADP um, in best ball using FFPC drafts, thanks to Fantasy Mojo and the data that he provided us, and looking at, okay, um, what types of players move the most in ADP? And so, and it really syncs up with when they move as well. So in March, we get a lot of big movers in ADP because why? because we get trades and we get free agency really going. And then in April and May, April, you start to tighten up and draft. You start to get a better idea where players are going to go. And then in May, you get the actual draft. But what you'll see here is just quick high level. If you look at the totals at the bottom, um, a lot of these players I'm about to share with you fit these buckets. So like we've been building out these episodes to really kind of create a foundation for folks. And so we're just referring back to it. And so when you hear me refer to this chart or to that art, I've actually did an article on this too. You can also find at, on pff.com, but 18%, you know, of the players that moved at least 12 spots in ADP between February and August in drafts were rookies. 15% were second year players. 7% were third year players. So you've got your rookies coming in. You've got second year players that people are like, oh yeah, like I should probably pay attention to like these young guys and they start moving up boards. And then you get 17%, which have already really happened. We've already seen it. So the, the, the example, like the impact that we've seen Russell Wilson have on all the receivers um, for the Brown, for the uh, Broncos. And then we've even seen it with Javante Williams. He moved from a second round pick to a first round pick. So that wave's already happened. So now what I'm going to, share with everybody is and it's going to be an article will be coming out tomorrow and it's really just focusing on you know i've put players into three different buckets and it's not every player it's just players based on certain criteria so i put the players into one players we want to target right now at adp or less in best ball drafts because most likely like once the nfl draft is done um their their adp is not going to move like, you know, their or their ADP is most likely to go up. Sorry. Then you get the next bucket, which is really I'm calling a straddle, which means the NFL drafts going to either send their stock higher because they're not going to add competition to their team or they are going to add someone and the player is going to go lower. So it's not someone you want to be targeting in every single draft because really their ADP could go either way. But you do want some limited exposure to try to capture that upside. And then there's really the fades which are players that honestly, I think they're Ian Price at the top ADP that we're going to see all off season because a lot of the upside's already baked in, meaning no matter what happens in the draft, like I don't really see a way like that their ADP is going to go higher. I don't think there's any news that could come out that's going to, that's going to be like, Oh wow. Now I should just move this player up the board. Like a lot of it's already baked in. So I just wanted to show, share this first because it goes back to the type of players that we see move. And now I'll share. Do you have the other list I sent you or you want me to share it? Oh, uh, you can go ahead and just share it. Dwayne has a, a hand, handy dandy conditionally right. formatted. Gotta love that uh, well, list of some of these guys. And I just want to give you props, first of all, Dwayne, for highlighting the man that does deserve to be in bright green, Rob Gronkowski. 
come on. He's telling TMZ he's not sure if he's going to play. Like he literally said about a month ago that he was going to make Tom Brady sweat this out for a little bit because he did the exact same thing to Gronk, man. I, I think Gronk would rather be a free man for the next few months and then go freaking show up on day one of August because we know Gronk loves to party, but we also know Gronk loves football, particularly when he gets to play with Tom Brady. So as long as we can treat Gronk, as long as people are going to pretend like retirement's even a little bit of a, you know, a thing out there. Like, Dwayne, remember all the Aaron Rodgers discounts we could get last year? Like, that was actually something that I could understand people being a little bit unsure about. But Gronk, get out of here. Yeah, no, it's the exact – that's – we'll start there. We'll start with tight ends, and that's exactly what we're talking about. So with Gronkowski and, – and, again, these aren't, don't all have to be 100% tied to the draft, but really May is the last month of the season where we see all of these 12 and 24 spot movers. Once we get through May and people do – and a lot of the analysts do their first round of projections, things pretty much level off. Then you get injuries, you get holdouts, things like that that you're talking about. They can still influence ADP. But overall, we don't see as, as many big moves. But with Gronkowski, obviously, he has moved up. We were seeing him. I think when you and I first talked about Gronk, it was like round 15 or something crazy yeah. over on Underdog. But here again, thanks to FantasyMojo.com, looking at FFPC and their best ball draft. These, I'm specifically looking at their best ball slims, which stops at 20 rounds, no kicker, no defense, um, which is the way I think Ian would prefer it. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is going at pick at round eight, pick 12. So that's an overall pick of 96. Look, once Rob Gronkowski signs, you know, he's going to move up. He's going to move up. Into, and we talked about this on Friday, but he's probably going to be in the top seven tight ends taken. So you're getting him right now at tight end 13. And, and I think worst case, you know, say Gronk's, you know, holdout does really last. We could see his ADP get, you know, as we get closer to the season, if he continues to hold out, obviously that could push his ADP down. But I just think that the value that you're getting um, is too good here with Gronk. And if it continues to edge up at some point, you'll just have to be like, well, I guess I'm out on Gronk until he signs. But right now the ADP is still good. Um, the player right now that I'm fading at ADP, and I've already talked about Dawson Knox multiple times. It's starting to sound like I just hate Dawson Knox. I promise <laughs> that's not the case. I don't, I don't like his profile. Um, but mainly it's what you mentioned. I don't like his ADP right now. He's going around seven pick five. Now this is FFPC. Some of your people are going to be like, what round seven? Remember this is a tight end premium format, but still relatively speaking, speaking, he's got the bigger issue really is that he is going off the board as tight end nine. And there's right. a lot of other players that are around him that are, they have a better talent profile. And historically, guys like Dawson Knox that have crept into the top 12 and they haven't shown yards per route run, they haven't shown targets per route run, none of their, you know, things that specifically, you know, they're helping to own, usually those guys don't hang around in the top 12. They usually eventually drop out. Not saying that's for sure the case for Knox this year. He does play in a great offense, but I just think there's too many other things that could happen. And here's the big part with the draft for Knox. The Bills are in the market to add playmakers. They're going to add a playmaker in the draft. Is it going to be a receiver? Maybe. Is it going to be a receiver and maybe a tight end? Could happen. They've already added O.J. Howard in the offseason. You and I don't consider that like to be this huge threat considering, you know, O.J. Howard hasn't done a lot. But he's a first-round pick, and it shows us the intention, right, of the Bills to, to really try to continue to add pieces to their offense. So I think you could easily find Dawson Knox as being a player that's further on the outside of really someone being targeted by Josh Allen because of the additions that they make, you know, through the draft. 
So I, I, I think Knox is fine, but so is Robert Tunyon. And I think we were pretty clearly able to see after that season, like, okay, he is clearly not going to be a top two, even a three pass game option in this offense. He's probably not going to score as many touchdowns. That's Dawson Knox. Just four games last year where he had more than more than five targets. And yeah, he was he was able to score 11 total touchdowns on just 80 targets throughout the entire season. Probably not going to happen again. So everyone kind of is like, oh, how we miss on Dawson Knox? He was a starting tight end in a great offense. It, the reason why people missed on Dawson Knox last year is because we were getting reports in the summer that Jacob Hollister might take his freaking job. Now, that did not come to fruition, as uh, Dwayne's dogs are reminding us. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we just can't. Sometimes I think we look back on things with our hindsight in a 2020 and the Dawson Knox clarity was never um, really all that high uh, throughout um, the off season. So, you know, the, the next year's Dawson Knox conversation, and I'm okay doing that, you know, when, when we add some context to it, uh, but just keep in mind that there might not be uh, a Dawson Knox in 2022. And Lord knows we shouldn't be paying a steep, uh, you know, premium to try to go get the guy that just had likely the best season of his career. Yeah, Ruby doesn't like Dawson Knox. She specifically doesn't like Dawson Knox or personally. ADP. Oh, it's just okay. an ADP thing for us. <laughs> Whole McFarland. I'll, I'll have a conversation with her later. She has some. <laughs> she has some work to do on her soul, but but we'll take care of that later. Um, so, and for those of those of you looking along, like watching on YouTube, so if you see the blue, those are really my straddle, you know, play or hedge plays. Then the green are the players that I'm buying into right now ahead of the draft. And then the, you know, I don't know what color they call this. I don't even know what this is, but they don't have a red, Ian. So it's like a, you know, like an orangish, like, I don't even know. Rose Magenta. Color. Magenta. Yeah. There you go. You got it. We'll go with it. Um, so let's start with the players that I am buying to, into ahead of ADP, uh, you know, at ADP ahead of the NFL draft for quarterback. So at quarterback, really looking at it, um, Justin Fields, you know, his ADP is starting to drift in. It had been, you know, in the ninth, you know, round, even seeing some people taking him in the, in the eighth round. Now you're seeing round 10 pick six, according to Fantasy Mojo, and that's looking at the last 21 drafts again. So this is really taking the last seven days and isolating in on it because, you know, we're trying to take all the most recent news. So I've, I've sacrificed taking, you know, a 300 pool, you know, sample size that may be too, you know, long going too far back based on news cycles and just trying to focus in on really what's happening over the last week. But looking at Justin Fields, you know, look, man, he still fits in the tier with, you know, Trey Lance. He still fits in a tier, even if you're just looking at upside with risk of, you could say Deshaun Watson goes in that tier. But right now he's drifting. And part of it is Derek Carr's moving up since he added Devontae Adams, which, and I get it, you know, you and I talked about Carr being a guy that could be an arbitrage play on like a non-running quarterback like Joe Burrow. If everything yeah. went right, we could see Derek Carr have a 5,000 yard season, but I wouldn't see a reason to think that Derek Carr is someone I'm getting more excited about than Justin Fields. Justin Fields, because we know what we get with the legs, I think really carries more upside. Like if I had to pick between those two guys to say, if I'm really going for upside, like which one could give me the most, I still think it's Fields because his top, top upside is getting closer to like a Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying anyone is Lamar because he's so special on the ground. The Fields would really be getting towards that. And so he's going after Lance, who's at round nine, pick seven, Deshaun Watson, round eight, pick 11. So I feel like Fields is an absolute buy. And I've been really annoyed. I've been yeah, really annoyed ahead. with the Bears' entire offseason, just how I they – Okay. And that's part of why he's falling. 
Feels exactly. Good but with all that said, you know, if all of a sudden we see like Jameson Williams get out of there, maybe Sky Moore in round two, something like that. If we can add two high profile pass catchers to this offense, which, hey, I would hope that they have at least some sort of plans to do so, considering how much they faded off free agency. But what have we talked about with free agency and spending a lot on these players? Typically not that good. That if hurt. a team is willing to let that guy walk out the door in the first place, maybe you shouldn't be willing to give him, you know, fistful of money. So, yeah. Yeah, in March when every other team is, you know, doing this stuff, it's easy to be annoyed and everything. But yeah, a month from now, we see them add a couple high-end uh, dra- drafted receivers to that offense. I think we'll be singing a different uh, tune about Justin Fields' upside. Yeah, and on the front with the draft, like you're talking about, so the Bears don't have a first, but they do have two second-round selections and they have a third. Um, and we talked about the depth of the receiving class. They've already had visits with Traylon, Traylon Burks. They've already uh, visited with Khalil Shakir, Christian Watson. They've had two visits with. So I think they definitely have plans on adding a weapon. Like if Traylon Burks did slip out of the first round or to the end of the first round, who knows? Maybe they potentially package two seconds to move up and go after. Man, we would love to see them do something like that. Um, you know, for Justin Fields. But that's the kind of thing that, you know, they are capable of doing. And I do think they are going to add a receiver um, in the draft. So, and when that happens, whether we really like the receiver a lot or not, it's going to be enough. Remember, there's just been no news around Justin Fields. That's part of why he's sliding right now. So you have to play these news cycles. As soon as they draft a a receiver in the second round, it doesn't even matter who their name is. People are going to be like, oh, the Bears are trying to improve the offense for Justin Fields. His ADP is going to start to go up. We we, we, we get the picture of him in training cam stunt the dope red visor oh my goodness well then yes because he'll get the ian he'll get the ian bump because then <laughs> ian will definitely be tweeting about the visor uh, which dude it was messing me up last tweets. year <laughs> andy dalton was rocking like the sickest visor ever before the season started and i was like it's just throwing off all my models you're like this now. is not allowed yeah <laughs> those are those are the types of inputs in my quote-unquote model Dwayne visor game you know how how quickly are they celebrating after a first down you know the real important stuff yeah, I think we could officially call something a model if we were taking in visors. Like that would take it beyond spreadsheets. Um, so I won't hit all these. People can see them and you can go read my article. But the other player that I think is a buy right now really is Ryan Tannehill. Um, we talked about him last week being one of the guys that really fits there with Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr. Um, not quite the upside as a passer, but has a better rushing floor. But man, you know, the more I study Tannehill, Ian, like even since we talked about him last week, so we talked about them adding Robert Woods, but still being a run-centric offense. Well, now, like when you look at um, the Titans, it appears that they're also going to add another player in the draft for him as far as a skill position, because they have the second most visits with wide receivers of all the teams in the league. And I know visits can be weird, but overall, like it's not just specifically who the teams visit with. It's like, what are the positions they really seem to be vetting? And so I do think that the Titans have a really good chance if the right player is there of taking someone at pick 26 at the end of the first round, or if it's not a player they like this there, I think they could trade back in, and stay in that relevant range in the second round where they can still add another weapon. And so we know Derrick Henry we've talked about has already hit that 1500 carry threshold. He's well over it. Could we, Ian, because we never want to get take lot. Could we potentially see a Titans offense that does open it up just a little bit more, take some of the load off of Derrick Henry. And we know Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, we've talked about, like he's a quarterback that like I haven't called him Russ Wilson arbitrage play. If you look at his efficiency numbers, like if you look at his, um, his fantasy points per drop back, like they're way up there. They're up there with the elites. Could we get a situation where now all of a sudden you look up, man, what if you were, if you saw Ryan Tannehill had AJ Brown, 
let's say they <laughs> that Traylon Burks got to them at the end of the first round, and then they add another receiver or something in the third round, and we've got Robert Woods. Even just get rid of the third round. Don't even worry about it. You got Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, AJ Brown. You've already mentioned Austin Hooper as a slight upgrade. Like, would you start to buy into the fact that, you know, we at least need to factor somewhere in our range of outcomes that they, you know, we always talk about letting Russ cook. Like what would happen if Ryan Tannehill got to cook? I think Tanny is the exact, like where I'm drawing my line. I want him if I'm going like late round quarterback and I've already missed out on like the cousins card tier. Ryan Tannehill is that quarterback before you get to the Tua's and the Daniel Joneses of the world. Like, okay, maybe you can talk yourself into him, but Tannehill would be the guy I want. And otherwise, man, look, obviously you got to get A.J. Brown in round two probably to have any chance of getting that stack. But otherwise, Austin Hooper, Robert Woods, all these guys are cheap as hell. Even like Dontrell Hilliard, man, he's going to catch a lot of passes. I could think of a worst, uh, you know, last round pick to use on the guy. And to your point, it does look like they're going to add more wide receivers. So I don't know if Tannehill is going to rush for seven touchdowns every single year, but he's athletic and nimble enough to make that happen at least once. So why not? again i think he's even done it uh twice the last two years more rushing touchdowns than lamar jackson over the last three years that's been one of my favorite stat stats of the offseason so far so yeah i see the um i see the lord with Tannehill, man for as bad as kind of last year was for him in that offense i mean the problem for him was right when derrick henry got hurt like aj brown wasn't in there either julio jones wasn't in there either so it was Tannehill and a bunch of you know nobody's so, sorry to the players out there, but Tannehill and a bunch of guys that we shouldn't have expected him to put up big numbers with anyway. So if we just look at it and for him to still be QB 15 fantasy points per game, QB 12 overall, if you want to be a dick and not include the per game numbers, Tannehill has got a pretty nice floor. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we could end up seeing more upside. Let's see what they do. Uh, I'm not going to hit all of these quarterbacks. I'm not going to hit these in depth, but like, you know, the straddles, Trey Lance has really come down in ADP. Like it was out of control, um, you know, a month ago. But we're now seeing him as a ninth, tenth round price, um, which I think is a lot better. Like I'm much more willing to take a swing on Trey Lance in the ninth or tenth versus where he had been in the eighth or seventh round, uh, whenever we were at the beginning of March and in late February. Which again, like these cycles happen. Like and a lot of it is based on news. But I do think there's a chance Trey Lance surges back up. So I want to I want to get some exposure to him now because if for some like the the Jimmy Garoppolo window for a trade, like it, it gets a lot smaller once the draft's over, right? So if if the trade does happen, it's probably going to happen on draft weekend or before the draft gets here. And if that does happen, I think you will see Trey Lance surge back up to like that seventh round price in best ball. Um, maybe not in redraft, but in best ball, we know everybody's going to draft two quarterbacks. A lot of people are going to draft three. So it pushes the price tag up for Lance. So just a guy to think about, you know, you, I, I know I want to specifically bring him up because before we had talked about him being a player to avoid, because really everybody was assuming the absolute best. Now that his ADP slipped a little bit, I think you can, you can do something with him. So we'll switch over to Jalen Hurts all over again. I love it. Like we can get screw the ADP in March and April, but we can actually buy uh, once the summer comes around. Great day to be great. Yeah. And so this is the interesting thing, like with our rankings and our tiers and everything, who's a guy I've talked about so much and, and going back to what you talk about, ADP is what matters so much. I love Javonta Williams, but at this point right now, like he is a fade. I'm not drafting him if I'm drafting today and round one pick 10. Why? Because even if the Broncos don't draft another running back, even if they don't bring Melvin Gordon back, how much higher is Javonta Williams really going to go in ADP? couple spots but not much maybe he might maybe. not move any but you know what i would rather spend a round one pick six 
on Javonta Williams, knowing that neither of those things happen in August, you know, or September or whenever versus today having to spend round one pick 10 and maybe they do happen. You see what I mean? Like we talked about this. The risk reward is I'm fine drafting Javonta at round one pick six. If all of a sudden he is the only game in town in Denver, like I would be completely fine. I'm not as, I'm not as bullish on, you know, four, like four picks is not enough discount right now for me to take Javonta Williams. Like I want plenty of exposure. I just think most likely this will be the highest his ADP is in the off season. And more likely you're going to be able to still get him at cheaper prices. His ceiling's legit RB two to RB one overall. I have him ranked like if Gordon's back and we kind of see what happened last year in this RB 15, RB 16, you cut the difference and his ADP is like still higher than where you're cutting the difference at. I mean, it's the epitome of buying guy closer to his ceiling than his floor, which yeah, let's avoid that if at all possible. Yeah, exactly. And so Dalvin Cook, similar scenario, uh, but for different reasons, you know, we talked about Cook last week, so we don't have to get into all of it, but we know that he does have, you know, a legal situation looming. The carries are getting up there. He's had the shoulder issue, still a very explosive player, not showing signs of really tailing off, you know, even though he's going to his age 27 season from a standpoint of missed tackles force, uh, carries over 10 yards or more, all those things still look good. But whenever you've got to take him in round two, pick one right now, um, that's just a bit high for me, knowing all of the potential risk with Dalvin Cook. And then, you know, Alvin Kamara is a little different, though, for me, because I know it says 2.1 here. Um, but like if you look at it, uh, 22, that's really supposed to be 2.10. <laughs> so that's round two pick 10 for Alvin Kamara. So like he's more of a straddle because, you know, if, if his legal issues get cleared up, he's probably going to climb some. Um, right now he's almost at the end of the third round round. So I don't mind taking some exposure on him, but like, here's the other straddle, um, player for me. And I was just really studying him today. And like, I'm, I've been kind of torn. Um, and some people that I really like in the industry are really high on, you know, Brees Hall, not only, you know, as a, as a player, which I think we all are, but thinking that he's going to have a second round draft capital by the time we get to August or September, man, Ooh. Ian, I don't know, like, we saw Second we talked tie, about man. That's like that was rookie year Zeke even round one? Uh yeah, rookie Zeke was round two. I think by the end of the draft season got to late round one. Last year we saw Najee creep into the first sum, but mostly a mid-second. But and if those you look were at, far more clear situations than anything Brees can get thrown into. Right. So Jonathan Taylor landed landed with Marlon Mack, a much better prospect than Brees Hall. As much as we like Brees Hall, like Jonathan Taylor was a better prospect. And he had Marlon Mack in front of him, and he was a third, fourth-round pick. You look at Javonta Williams last year with Melvin Gordon, who everyone thought was washed, was a fourth and fifth-round pick. And if you look at Brees Hall right now, he's already round three, pick nine. I honestly, unless he lands with – you tell me if I'm missing a team. If he lands with the Eagles, I could see a clear path to just taking over. I I don't – Miles Sanders doesn't bother me at all. You You personally hate Miles Sanders. No, yeah. Well, I hate his ADP, and I don't. I don't personally hate him. I'm not even a joke. I that. know, but but I think he could take that over. Like it, it would be enough that I would be intrigued enough to say, okay, I could see it. Um, you know, Houston, but then that's a terrible offense. Atlanta, but really, we still got Corderell's an elite option that's out of right. the backfield sure as far is. as receiving game. So it's not like he would just for sure get that. Um, Buffalo, like Buffalo, is the one that would skyrocket him. Because I think people would just want to go ahead and dismiss Devin Singletary. We know Zach Moss is basically out of the picture at that point. 
Um, and we know Singletary, we basically feel like they've just been trying to replace him, trying to replace him, trying to replace him, even though the guy kind of comes through um, whenever he's given an opportunity to have the workload. But like outside of those, like I really struggle to think of a landing spot. The that only other one I be think- a second round pick. Definitely, this wouldn't be a second-round pick. But I think it's maybe on par with like Atlanta. It would be the Jets if they just aren't as high on harder as the rest Agreed. of us are. But other than that, no, the, I think those are the five. You could argue the 49ers because Elijah Mitchell also doesn't have high draft capital. And who the hell so ever knows Evo. who's Kyle yeah, Shanahan? San Francisco <laughs> is definitely the who. Who the hell ever knows tier? Um, <laughs> but as far as Brees Hall goes, like I just start to, I'm I'm questioning that he really has legit second-round upside as far as where his ADP is going to go. I'm not saying the player. This is just talking about we want to get exposure to players at the best price we can throughout draft season, which is already occurring now, and it will go all the way through September. So you, if you're drafting now, like there's certain players you want overexposure to and underexposure, which is what this is all about. So for me, I'm calling Brees Hall a straddle. I'll still go ahead and take some shares of Brees Hall um, because just in case he lands in one of those great landing spots, but there's just not a ton of them available um, you know, most likely you would see a situation that would create a committee. Um, let me go ahead and finish off these, uh, the next two backs that I think are really in that kind of straddle, meaning I want some exposure, but if things go wrong in the draft, like their ADP could really go down. And you just mentioned one of them. It's Michael Carter. Yeah. We love Michael Carter, but he was only a fourth round pick, early fourth round pick last year, but the Jets have quite a bit of capital and they could easily take another back. And if they do right now, he is the 25th running back off the board, according to fantasy mojo round six, pick six, like that's going to go down. Like if they take a back in the first three rounds, like he'll fall seventh, eighth. But if they don't, if they don't, he's going to go up, which is why you want some exposure to him. Uh, And then Devin Singletary, who we already talked about in association with Brees Hall, same exact scenario for Devin Singletary. Um, So those players are all really similar, but now let's just talk about Ian, the guys that I think, you know, I want as much exposure to now as I can get Um, Leonard Fournette, is going around three pick 12. We've already, we, I think we'll take, we'll take credit. We've, we've already made his ADP like move up one spot. He it's was around four too pick low. one. It is too low, but we made him move up one spot. He was around uh, four pick one last week. Ian, so he's, he's <laughs> up a little bit, but, but with Fournette, they did, they did resign Gio Bernard. Um, now I will say the Bucks have had, um, they visited with multiple pass catching backs. Now this was before they signed Gio Bernard. So like uh, Richard White, uh, Rashad White, they had visited with. Um, they've actually visited with James Cook, I believe. So a lot of the backs that they have actually taken an, inter- an interest in, you know, from the draft are of that receiving mold. But man, here's the thing with Fournette. Even if they draft someone like that, then his ADP probably should sit about where it's at because we've seen Fournette getting 60% of the work last year when Geo was even out there getting passing down work. He was still finishing in the top 15, top 16 every single week, even in that scenario was still getting spike weeks where he was getting, you know, these RB, you know, these top, these top 10 RB finishes. But then in the weeks where we saw him truly get the workload, obviously that's where the super elite stuff happened for Fournette. But I feel like you kind of have some insulation here, even if they add another back. And here's the thing, man. With rookie backs, what do we see all the time? Like the hardest thing for them to do is get on the field and passing downs. So just because they add someone that they think they want to have as a passing down option to go with Fournette and they're a rookie, like we don't even know if they're going on the field. Like Tom Brady will, you know, he has something definitely to say about it. So you got to be able to handle the pass blocking, all the other stuff that he's going to want you to be able to do. So I don't know what your thoughts are with Fournette, but even if I saw the Bucks draft Rashad White in the third round, I wouldn't love it. But it wouldn't make me feel like, oh, man, every share I got a Fournette that was in the third or fourth round is now sunk. I would still feel like I was probably at least even on those shares. How do we overcome 
a guy that isn't very efficient at running back. We want all sorts of volume, including a pass down roll and an offense that's going to score a lot of touchdowns. That's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that's the Arizona Cardinals. That's why James Conner is also a screaming value and someone that you're buying even more right now. Like, yeah, Conner's pick 29. Uh, so Conner's pick uh, RB 21, Fournette's RB 17. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a, a guy going in the fourth round in Connor. I just don't get it. Um, round four, pick 10. I know it says 4-1 on my screen because of my rounding. Um, but round four, pick 10 is insane right now for James. I understand, like, Dwayne, like, we have Connor both ranked, like, inside our top eight running backs. I would understand, like, if his ADP gets to that same spot and we're picking between James Connor or a dope wide receiver, I'm going to take the wide receiver. Yeah, right? Absolutely. But right now, we don't have to worry about that. We can take that wide receiver, and then two rounds later, then go get James Conner against a bunch of running backs that have nowhere near the sort of touch ceiling that he has right now. Yeah, like to me, for Conner and Fournette to tank, like these teams would have to take a Brees Hall. They would have to take a Kenneth Walker. They would have to take probably one of those two top guys to make me be like, whoa, this is probably turning into a timeshare, a true timeshare. But outside of that, like I still feel pretty good about Fournette and Connor. Um, the next guy on the list is really Kenneth Walker. We'll kind of wrap these out. You know, obviously being a rookie, he's a guy that we talked about. And whenever I showed the first chart, rookies are some of the players that make up the biggest percentage of these players to make these large moves in ADP once the draft happens. And there's just a disconnect right now. I mean, if you look at where Brees Hall's going, round three, pick nine, Kenneth Walker right now is projecting to go 14 picks by grinding the mocks, 14 picks later than Brees Hall. And he's going in round seven. And so, yeah, he doesn't have the receiving profile, which we talked about. Doesn't necessarily mean that he can't get any work in the receiving game. But to me, it's just too much of a disconnect. Um, even if you don't think Kenneth Walker is going to be in every deck, every down back in the NFL, like now is the time to get your exposure to Kenneth, yeah. your exposure to Kenneth Walker, because once he goes in that range right after Brees Hall, like he's probably going to move up in ADP just because then people are going to know that he has that draft capital and it's going to sink in and they're going to be like, wow. Like I should take this player in the fifth round. I should take them in the sixth round. And depending on the landing spot will obviously matter a lot, you know, for the backs. Um, but Kenneth Walker most likely to be the second one off the board. So you want to go ahead and get shares now, probably going to be the cheapest time of the season to do it unless he lands on a buried depth chart. Um, last few guys, Isaiah Edmonds, I mean, Chase Edmonds, um, mixing, mixing my two guys to get together, <laughs> Isaiah Spiller's next, but Chase Edmonds, um, man, I know there's some people out there talking about Mostert, but the biggest thing for me with Miami they don't have a lot of draft capital now, Ian. They spent it all to get Tyreek Hill. So I don't think they're going to spend a pick on running back. I like Raheem Mostert, but we're talking about a 30-year-old back who even when Mike McDaniel brought him in said, hey, dude, you're really going to kind of play you know, that relief role. You're not here to be like an every down back. And Mostert admitted to it. So to me, Chase Evans, not a guy that you and I are thinking is going to get you know, 60 or 70% of the work, but he could be in for at least half of the Dolphins running back snaps. And we know that he can be a plus in the receiving game. Don't think he'll get a ton of receptions just because they have other weapons. They probably want to prioritize getting the ball to, um, but he's been really good in that area and also a really explosive player. Like one of the most explosive running backs, you know, based on at least hundred carries last season, you know, Chase Edmonds was in the top. So like for me with Edmonds, like round nine, pick six, like that's, that's like free. 
basically. RB36, I am fine with that. I thought he was going to be pushing kind of that RB2 borderline after that initial signing happened, but maybe it is the Mostert uh, presence being there throwing everyone off. Edmonds can be like a middle-class man's Austin Eckler in fantasy. I don't. He's not going to push for, you know, 18 touchdowns or anything like that. I, I agree. I don't think he has the same sort of target, even floor or ceiling as well. But, man, like their contracts, it's just like, you know, Edmonds is making $6.5 million per year and Eckler's making $6.125. Like they are right next to each other in per-year valuation. Eckler got the four years instead of the two because Eckler is better than Chase Edmonds. I'm not trying to dispute that. Just realize Edmonds got paid a good chunk of money to go take on probably a larger role than he was having in Arizona. So, yeah, just about that price placement. RB36, man, sounds good to me. Yeah, me too. And so the rest of the guys are really just rookies. Um, Isaiah Spiller, Brian Robinson Jr., James Cook, and Zamir White, specifically Robinson, Cook, and White. Like those are all guys that are projected inside the top 100 picks. You know, Ian, you hit on that earlier. You want to be a uh, first, second, or third round pick. So I, that's really where I made my cutoff here. The rest, there could be other backs that could sneak into that range once we see the draft. But these are the guys that are really projecting to go inside the top 100. And right now they're not being drafted. They're not being drafted that way in fantasy drafts. So if you look at Brian Robinson, he's round 15, pick three. James Cook, who you talked about earlier, round 15, pick nine. And Zamir White, round 16, pick three. Please, Baltimore, we know you're having a name for a visit as your top 30. We don't need another back in the Ravens. We love you, no. Ravens, but we don't want we do not want another back there. Let's not bury Zamir White, you know, behind J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson. Come on. Come on, do us all a favor. Let's let this let's let this guy go somewhere else. Um, so that that really rounds out the running backs. Um, if the folks want to see the receivers, let's just hit a couple of the receivers real quick, Ian. Like, yeah. um, I, I'm about to have to go pick up kids. So make the kids walk, hit? Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> just real Brother quick looking character. at it. I mean, I think Dwayne's. Uh, you know, I always think Dwayne's smart. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be working together every single day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the two guys that could be falling, Elijah Moore and Amon Ross St. Brown, we've talked about them, Dwayne, being good receivers, and good receivers don't magically turn into bad receivers based on when we've seen these guys have early career success. With that said, if the Lions or Jets or really any team, if you're going to add someone legit as a top 10, top 15 real life talent that's going to be a problem when you're already being priced as high as Elijah and Amon Ross so I don't think them being you know quote-unquote guys to avoid right now is saying that you need to have zero exposure to them in 2022 they're both still very good players and they're and they're and they're they're straddles like so they're I'm fine getting exposure to them remember the blue is the straddle it could go it could go south though that's the main point yeah, but so for Amon Ross St. Brown, though, for me, I don't care who they draft. Like, he's already shown me enough that I like him. Like, I want exposure, and if that drives his draft price down, I'm fine. And I'm the same with Elijah Moore. Um, but to your point, if they take someone else, it's really more about it's going to drive the ADP down, even though it may not make us change our mind. It may make you, but for me, it's not going to change my mind about the players. They've shown me enough in their rookie season. And based on what we thought about them, especially Elijah Moore, what we thought about him coming into the league, obviously Amon Ross St. Brown surprised us some, but at the end of the day, I think their, their ADP could go either way based on what happens in the draft. If the jets don't take a receiver, Elijah Moore could climb a little, probably not a lot. He's already pretty highly priced, but Amon Ross St. Brown is the one that I think could move up a little bit more because he slipped down to wide receiver 27 at this point at one, at one time, like he was inside the top 24. 
Um, so looking at where he's going, I think, you know, he's the guy that I'm fine waiting a little bit because if Detroit does take a receiver, like I could easily see him fall in the seventh or eighth round and I'm going to want to get my exposure to him then, but it won't, I'm not saying avoid him because I definitely like him, but the, I did. The players I, I, yeah. I was going to say, okay, I did accidentally mistake your blue with the magenta colored being pure <laughs> magenta blue. magenta. So Juju though, and Gabe Davis fit what you just said. Like if yes. the Chiefs, which who are they're going to add a receiver, folks. Like it's very likely they're adding a receiver, and Juju right now is going in round six. And look, we're we're not, we're not hating on Juju. We know there's the upside for receptions. We know that money tells us MVS is their number one. That's all I'm saying. Money tells us MVS is number one. Underlying metrics tell us Juju is not what he was whenever he had his breakout season three years ago. Even though he had a season, you know, where he was, you know, again in the top twenty, you know not last year, but the year before, you know, as far as receiver finishes, but just as far as his yards per route run, targets per route run, none of those things have been great. I really expect Kansas City to add. So even if you like Juju, the point is Kansas City's probably adding someone. His ADP is going to get cheaper. If they draft a Lave, it doesn't matter who they draft. Once they draft someone and let's say, well, Dwayne, I love Juju. I'm a believer. Great. Still, <laughs> you should wait. Like his ADP is probably going to drop two rounds after the NFL draft, if not further. Same thing for Gabe Davis. He's absolutely like he's being picked right now as wide receiver 33. Like, man, like I feel like everybody's got complete rose colored glasses. We like Gabe Davis, but Buffalo's been sniffing around all sorts of skill players. If they draft someone in the draft, Gabe Davis is going to go down. If they don't, that's the other thing with Juju and Gabe Davis. If they if neither Kansas City or Buffalo add anybody in, I don't think their ADPs are going up. I think their ADPs are already about as high as we can expect them to be in the offseason, which means like our strategy, our strategy, if we're drafting now, should be to wait. A couple guys you have on here, not rookies, because, again, I think we've all realized at this yeah, point yeah, that yeah. rookies are kind of the big pulls. But Rashad Bateman right now, just a wide receiver, 44. We like Hollywood Brown, but why not both when you can get Bateman as a legit wide receiver for Chase Claypool? We've spoken at length. That's just too big of a disparity between him and Deontay Johnson, both talented great receivers with a new quarterback one shouldn't be going so far ahead of the other one and i think maybe Dwayne, like our favorite buy low guy right now out of anyone at any position is rondale moore because out of all these kind of potentially unsure rooms i think what we've seen from the cardinals throughout the offseason both financially and out of cliff kingsbury's mouth it sure seems like rondale moore is going to be a major part of this offense Absolutely. You know, and again, so this, a lot of this just goes back to what we talked about to begin with, you know, you've got rookies, you have second year players, you got a few third year players mixed in, but those are all of the guys that we expect to see continue to move up, you know, through the off season. So some of these guys aren't even necessarily just tried to tied to the NFL draft. It's just really about the fact that, you know, we're probably not going to get cheaper prices than what we're seeing on them as the rhetoric picks up around all of these players once the draft hits and everybody starts to get more serious about fantasy football. Great stuff from Dwayne. You can find that article on pff.com. Also got my draft capital goodness up there. Thanks, as always, for tuning in this edition of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Dwayne needs to go pick up his kids. I need to go find something to do with my life that maybe involves, you know, not uh, concentrating on football every second of every day. But I don't know. It's working out okay. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.